You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Okay. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 27. If you're new here, my name is Jamin, and I'm one of the pastors. We're uh, honored to have you visiting us this morning. If you're watching online, uh, maybe you're watching for the first time, or maybe you've been doing that for a long time, thank you for joining us. Uh, We are thrilled uh, to have you. Psalm 27 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, A few weeks ago, we wrapped up a series that we called Belonging, and it was about our local church and our hopes for the local church. And uh, five weeks, Advent starts, which is kind of unbelievable. A a low-grade panic just settled over the room, right? Um, But we're in between series right now, and and one of the things that we want to do that Ty mentioned last week was we want to, when we're in between series, the series that we kind of want to always be going on here, at least for a little bit, is looking at the Psalms and considering uh, what the Psalms teach us and learning, maybe some of us for the first time, or remembering, maybe others of us, how to talk to God. The Psalms are prayers and songs and poems. There's 150 of them. And while not all of them are prayers or not all of them are written as prayers, um, all of them have been used for thousands of years by the people of God to learn how to talk to God, specifically to learn how to talk to God about things that can often be hard to talk to God about. And so uh, we were uh, doing this work in August, and then uh, last week I thought Tamarcus did a wonderful job teaching us how to talk to God about our emptiness. This morning we'll be in Psalm 27 learning... How do I talk to God about my fears? How do I talk to God about the things I'm afraid of? Um, I don't love the Halloween season. I don't think it's wrong. I really don't. Uh, But it's just, it's not my favorite holiday. Around this time of year when I'm driving around or if I go into the stores and I see like the Halloween decorations, it it really just, it makes me want Christmas to start early. That's what it makes me want. Uh, Maybe it's because I'm not a huge fan of candy, I know. Um, Maybe it's because I'm not a huge fan of scary movies. It might be because growing up, my grandma told me Halloween was Satan's birthday, so (laughs) it makes it hard to overcome, you know, which it's not. Probably. It's probably not. But I'm, I'm not a huge fan, and I'm not saying that you can't be. Maybe it's your favorite season. If you love this season, then that's, that's fine. But I was talking to a friend of mine about how I, I don't love this season, and she said, you know, I, I can't watch any of the movies that are on TV during this time. Like, I can't even watch the commercials for those, for those movies. They're all just, you know, horror films and all that. And she explained it this way. It, it struck me. She said this, I don't need any help being scared of life. And I found that to be very honest. I don't need any help being scared of life. Not, (laughs) I'm not scared, and I don't want to become scared. It's, I'm already scared, and I don't need any more help. Like, I've I've got it covered all on my own, right? Life is scary. Life is full of fear. One of the most basic parts of being a human is being afraid. One of, of, of all the things we don't have in common, one of the things we have in common is we know what it's like to be afraid. We know what it's like to fear. And maybe we're not all afraid of the same things, but all of us are afraid of something. And it's because we live in a broken world. Um, The very first, think about this, the very first word spoken by humanity after sin entered the world is, I am afraid. Adam and Eve sin. 
They hide. God says, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you, and I was afraid. So when sin comes into the world, it brings with it fear. The default posture of the post-fall human heart is fear. And most of us, maybe all of us, if we're honest, we, we don't need any help being afraid. We're doing just fine being scared on our own, right? Life is scary. There's much to fear. Our fears drive how, so much of how we're living. Um, fears are deeply personal. They're sometimes hard to talk about. I, I think one of the ways to get to the depth of what's really going on in someone's heart is simply to ask this question, what are you afraid of? Like, what scares you? How would, how would you answer that this morning? What are you afraid of? If one of your answers is not snakes, you need help. <laughs> um, not all fear is unhealthy. You need to make a distinction. There is a healthy kind of fear. But, but this morning, as we consider Psalm 27, I want to lean into four really common fears that we can have. They're not always unhealthy, but maybe most of us, um, they either are unhealthy or they can easily become unhealthy. The first is a fear of rejection, afraid of rejection. I'm, I'm afraid of people leaving me. I'm afraid of people disliking me. I'm afraid of letting people in really close to my life and them seeing the worst of me and then using it against me and ultimately abandoning me. Back when he was doing The Late Show, David Letterman was interviewed uh, and was asked, what's it like to have to do a TV show every night? What's it like to have a live audience in front of you every night and to have a, a larger audience on the other side of the camera every night? How does that feel? And he said this, every night, you're trying to prove your self-worth. It's like meeting your girlfriend's family for the first time. You want to be the absolute best, wittiest, smartest, most charming, best-smelling version of yourself. If I can make people enjoy the experience and have a higher regard for me when I'm finished, it makes me feel like an entire person. If I've come short of that, I'm not happy. Listen to this. How things go for me every night is how I feel about myself for the next 24 hours. Do you hear the fear in his words? Uh, every night, whether or not I'm an entire person is on the line. And if I can offer the best version of me and if people can enjoy their experience of me, i.e. if they accept me, then all is right. If not, if that doesn't happen, then I'm not happy. If I'm rejected, I I'm just half a person if I'm rejected. I'm not even an entire person. I'm afraid of not being able to prove myself to people. And that that's the fear of rejection. And, and I think so many of us treat life and live life like we host a late night show. So afraid of people, of those around us. Maybe our audience isn't as big, but we all have an audience, right? Afraid of, of their judgment, afraid of their criticism, afraid of their rejection, long for their uh, approval. And so every encounter is a chance to perform, to win the audience over. And if I don't, I'm all alone on stage and, and no one cares about my show, right? That's a deep, controlling, soul-eating fear that makes life really scary. Uh, we're also afraid of the future. I'm afraid of the unknown, namely, about the future, like future loss that might come or future pain that might come. And so I live in the present afraid of what might happen. And it might never happen, right? But it's the haunting what if it happens, right? It might not, but what if it does? Have you ever uh, driven in the mountains, uh, like in Colorado or something like that? And if you're driving in the mountains, in the mountains they have these signs on the side of the road that warn you about falling rocks. Have you seen those? You know what I'm talking about? It's terrifying. Um, some of them actually have a picture of the mountain on it, 
and these massive boulders falling off of the mountain onto the road, right? It's like parts of the mountain are going to break off and come crush your car. And I grew up in Texas, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't have mountains. We have hills or something like that, right? So the first time I was driving in Colorado and I saw one of those signs, I thought, man, if they had to put a sign up about this, it must be a problem. Like, it must, it must happen all the time if it required a sign, right? So I'm driving freaked out, like, and super aware, like, just ready for the mountain to fall apart all over my little car. And, and the roads in the mountains, they, they twist and turn, right? And so what, what I drove like and how it felt was I needed to be ready that around every corner there could be some sort of falling threat just around it. The, the, the rocks right now aren't falling from the sky, but what if around the next corner they are? And we can live with that kind of fear, assuming there's a threat around every corner, there's something bad that's going to happen, maybe not happening right now, but who knows what's falling from the sky tomorrow or what's falling from the sky later on today, right? And eventually that can turn for some of us into a fear of things that, that, that are not even probable or fear of things happening that aren't even rational. Like so many of us, maybe we live like rocks could be falling when we don't even drive in the mountains, right? I think about that Mark Twain quote that we talked about when we were in Matthew 6. Worry is interest paid on a debt you may never owe. But what if? What if something bad happens, right? It makes life really scary. Uh, Some of us are afraid of failure. I'm afraid that I'll fail in my job. I'm afraid that I'll fail as a parent. I'm afraid that I'll fail in my responsibilities. I have this recurring dream uh, that I get a letter in the mail from my high school telling me that after all these years they discovered that I didn't finish all my classwork (laughs) and didn't actually graduate. Anybody else? Okay. Just me. In that letter they tell me this, if I can drive right now to the high school and take all of the tests I ever took, and pass them, then I can keep my diploma. (laughs) And so in the dream, I'm super anxious, right? Because there's no way I could, I barely passed them then. (laughs) There's no way I could pass those tests now, right? Not to mention, but since I graduated high school, they changed math, which I didn't know that was possible, but math changed. And so I shared that dream with a friend who happens to be a counselor, and they said, oh yeah, that's your fear of failure manifesting in a dream. And I said, oh, thanks. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask you for that. <laughs> but they were right. Think about this. You know, this unexpected event that I'm unprepared for, and if I fail, it has huge consequences. And that's scary. Like, what if things out of my control lead to some sort of failure I can't prevent? And I think that's what the fear of failure is for so many of us. It's not simply, what if I don't succeed? It's, what if I can't succeed? And what if I can't succeed because of something I can't control? in my job, in my home, in my relationships, in the church. It makes life really scary. I think many of us are afraid of death. You know that you're mortal. We know that we don't live forever, and that's scary. Now, like I said, not all fear is bad. Some fear is healthy. The fear that makes you move out of the way of an oncoming car is good, right? Your life is precious. It's worth protecting. The care you take of your body physically or emotionally or mentally, that's good because your life matters, right? The fear that maybe makes you protect someone else if they are in danger, that's good. But there's also a side of that where I'm so scared of death that I stop living. Or at least where the shadow of death darkens every part of my life so that every threat is to be avoided and everything I feel in my body that may be wrong might be terminally wrong. 
And every decision that I make is weighing the risk of could this hurt me? And so what happens is self-protection becomes the highest good and greatest importance in my life to the point where I really stop living life and it makes life really scary. What, what are you afraid of? Rejection, failure, the future, death. You can put me down for all of them. I don't need any help being scared of life, and yet I see, and hopefully you see, how these fears rob us of so much of life, and, and, and how these fears have a way of stunting life and inhibiting life. And, and here's what's true. God wants more for me than a life ruled by or filled with fear, and God wants more for you than a life ruled by or filled with fear. And so if that's true, what can we do? One of the things that we can do is talk to God about it, to pray to have honest conversation with God about what scares us, about what we're afraid of. Psalm 27 is written by David. He's a man who knew fear. You heard in the prayer as Jill read things like, an army encamps against me. Enemies assail me to eat up my flesh, right? His life is filled with threats, with really scary things, not perceived, but very real, dangerous, soul-crushing threats. And so in Psalm 27, he bows his head and he closes his eyes and he writes a prayer and talks to God about his fear. And in this psalm, we're invited to do the same. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. The first thing David does in talking to God about his fears is he tells God who God is to him. He does not start with his fears, he starts with God. There's a lot of confident statements he, he makes that, that can feel really distant from some of us, right? He says, whom shall I fear? He, uh, he says, my heart shall not fear. Remember the confidence, we'll, we'll come back to it. But it's all a response to what he says about God. He, he uses three metaphors to talk about God. The Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation, and the Lord is the stronghold of my life. These are all metaphors of protection. Uh, when life is dark, the Lord is my light. When I'm in trouble, the Lord is my salvation or my deliverer. He says God is a stronghold. It means God is a safe place for me. Proverbs 18 uses the same word and says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. So he says this, he's talking to God about his fears and he starts not with his fears, but who God is and says, he's my light and my deliverer and my safe place. You see what he's doing? There are threats facing me. There are things to be afraid of, but that does not mean that God is gone, he says. It does not mean that God has left me. Why this is so important is that in the face of our fears, I think we so often assume God's absence. Whether it's the fear of rejection or failure or future or death or anything else, it's easy to believe about God when we're afraid that he is not there or, or believe about him things that are not true. It's so easy to believe that things are going poorly when there are real threats and real scary things. It's easy to assume that, that God must not be around or God must not care, and David fights against that. See something. It does not read, the Lord is my light, so an army will never encamp against me. He doesn't believe that who God is to him will protect him from the things that he fears necessarily. The Lord is my salvation, so evildoers will never assail me. It doesn't say that. No, those things have happened. Maybe those things are happening. And David prays this, greater, the greater reality over my life are not the things that threaten me. The greater reality over my life is who God is to me. What's true about him? 
That's what matters most. He, he makes the same point in verses 11 and 12 when he says, teach me your way, lead me on a level path. False witnesses have risen against me. All of that is David asking God to teach him and reveal to him what is true. He does not want his enemies. He does not want his fear to be the loudest voice in his life. He wants his light and his salvation and his safe place to lead him and speak to him. The natural impulse for so many of us when we are afraid is not just to retreat from the thing that is scary, but to also retreat from God, to try to face our fears, assuming a godless existence or a godless world, or even just to forget him or believe that he forgot us. And I wonder what it would sound like for you to fight against that, for you to talk to God about your fears. And, and instead of starting with the things that you're afraid of, you start with who God is to you. Jesus, you're, you're my savior. Jesus, you're my light. Uh, in and through you, I believe, and I see clearly, and I can make sense uh, of things, even when life is dark, even in your fear, tell God who he is to you. Okay, verse four through six. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. He tells God who God is to him. And then he does this. He tells God what he wants, what he most wants. One thing I ask. One thing I seek, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to be with God. He has said three times that he's not afraid, even though it would be understandable if he was. He's confident, and he, here he tells us how he's so confident. The reason he is not afraid is because he has a single-minded desire for God, to be with God, to look upon the beauty of the Lord. One thing I ask, David is not afraid because what he most wants in life is not threatened. One thing, the single-minded desire of his life is to be with God, and no matter what is threatening him, nothing threatens God. And because he can't lose God, who is the one thing he wants, he's not afraid. That's where he goes in the prayer. God, this is what I want. This is my desire, and here's how my desire relates to the things that are going on around me. This verse tells us so important. It tells us something so important about fear. All, all unhealthy fear can be traced to some distorted desire. Let me offer some other voices on this verse. This is just so essential for all of us scared people to see. And I'm not gonna say it better than others have said it. So hear these voices on this verse. Tripper Longman in his book on the Psalms says this, fear is provoked when the threat of danger exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. We're all afraid because what we desire or what we most treasure, we cannot protect. Tim Keller on this verse says what David is saying, my fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of the things that are my greatest joys. When I'm afraid, it's because I've placed my greatest joy on something that is vulnerable, and when what gives me joy is threatened, joy turns to what? Fear. Augustine says it a bit stronger than that. Fear is the sign of the collapse of a false god. Unhealthy fear tells us that we've made an idol of something and that idol is falling apart. Our Savior, Jesus, says it this way, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
whatever happens to your treasure happens to your heart. And so if your treasure starts to rust or deteriorate, that's what happens to your heart also. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? Your fears connected to your desires, uh, that you can follow your fears to the one thing that you really want, right? It's why the Bible over and again commands us to not be afraid, not because it's unrealistic about the scary things in life, but because God wants us to place our ultimate love and loyalty on Him, to seek Him as the one thing we desire, because there has never been, is not, and will never be a day where we have to be afraid of what might happen to God. He's okay. He's unthreatened. He's not vulnerable, right? Okay, please, please come with me. Many of us know that. Many of us have heard that, but we have a problem. Fear works. Works. For so many of us, it works. It's a powerful motivator. So what we hear is we hear fear exposes desires for things that will fail us, exposes that the one thing we want is not the one thing we were made to want, and yet fear has served us well, some of us. It's helped us get some of what we want. Fear of losing our greatest joy has actually made some of us really good at protecting our greatest joy. Fear of failure has made some of us really great achievers, great at our jobs. Fear of rejection has made some of us really great with people. Or some of us, we learned humor as a way to protect ourselves from rejection. Fear made you funny, and we know how to use it, right? Fear of the future maybe made you smart in some ways. You developed great work ethic. You can calculate risk. You know how to avoid discomfort. Fear works. And so some of us, we have this love-hate relationship with our fear. We don't want to be afraid, but we don't want to let it go because our fear serves us. It helps us. Uh, it aids us in holding on a bit to what we desire most. Hear me. We don't like our fear, but we love our idol. We don't like our fear, but we love our idol. And fear is the sacrifice we offer on the altar because we don't want to stop wanting the very things that make us afraid. Um, it's not working. <laughs> It's not working. It works until it doesn't. When I was in junior high, my dad told me to mow the lawn. He said the lawnmower needs gas, um, but don't use the red gas can that's right next to the lawnmower. Use the red gas can that's on the shelf. And I, in my mind, I thought, how come the one that I'm not supposed to use is closest to the lawnmower? Anyway, I couldn't find the one on the shelf, but the one by the mower was full, and it smelled like gas. And so I poured it in the mower and started mowing the lawn. And I was almost done, and my dad, I almost mowed the entire lawn. And my dad came out, and he said, turn off the mower, and he asked me, what did you pour in there? And I explained I couldn't find the one on the shelf, but this one had gas in it. And he said, no, it didn't have gas in it. It had a mixture in it that is made for a certain kind of engine, but it's not made for this engine. And I said, Dad, but it's working. I mowed almost the whole lawn, right? Why does it matter as long as whatever's in it makes it go? And he said, what'll happen is it'll run for a little bit, but while it runs, it ruins the engine. On the outside, it's working, it's moving, but inside, it's starting to ruin because it's not what it was made to run on, and so eventually, it will break down. That is what fear will do to you, my friend. It might work for a time, but all the while, it's ruining you because you were not made to run on fear. You were not created to run on fear. And here's what happens. 
So fear of failure can make your life run really far. Maybe run really far into a successful career. Maybe the trophy shelf of your life is filled with things that you've won. But if all of that is fueled by the fear of not being enough, if all of that is fueled by the fear of not achieving enough, what has happened and is happening in you is ruin. And you feel that as the inability to shut your mind off. You feel that as the inability to rest. You feel that as the inability to be satisfied with what is because there's always more that could be and so you can't stop. It's not working. Fear of the future can work in protecting you. It can work in preventing a lot of what you're afraid of. Fear of the future can provide a kind of comfort and fear of the future can provide a kind of security but there's always the potential of more falling rocks around the corner, right? So what happens in you is you're never fully present in the present because you're always trying to solve problems in the future. And the sense of security is so fragile that you never actually feel secure in your security because you know that you're responsible for it and you don't actually have the resources to protect you from the fears that you have. And so what happens is minor setbacks in your mind become a major crisis. Every problem or threat is elevated. And the saddest part is because I'm always scared of the future, I am never satisfied in the present. It's not working. Fear of rejection can work in your life and amount to you being admired loved, sought after. You've figured out a way to be whatever you need to be for whoever is around you. You have mastered the art of offering the best version of yourself when it matters most, and that has got you places, and maybe that's impressed a lot of people, but inside it's ruining you. It's ruining you. And you feel that as the sad realization that you don't know who you are. You only know who everyone else expects you to be. So you can't be alone, you definitely can't be broken, you can't be unattractive, you can't be average, you can't be ordinary, you can't be left out. And somewhere along the way of trying to make everyone like you, you started despising yourself. And somewhere along the way of trying to make everyone like you, it became really hard to believe that the God who knows everything about you actually loves you. It's not working. And for some of us, the saddest reality is we won't stop until life breaks, until it just shuts down until we can't move anymore, until our fears become too overwhelming to ignore anymore. It takes our fears fatiguing us to the point where we have nothing left to offer our idols. There is a better way to live. There's a better way to live. We were not made for life to run on the fear of losing idols. We were made to live life desiring God who was and is and always will be. The one thing that won't ruin you is, the, is when the one thing you most want is Jesus because he is the one and only joy that is not vulnerable. He's the one and only God that will not collapse. He is the one and only treasure that will not fade. And so David says, I set my worship there. I set my desire there to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, not simply believing the right things, but seeing and responding rightly to the beauty and majesty of Jesus, and as a result, I'm not afraid. What would it sound like? What would it sound like to have that conversation with God? To talk to him about your fears and to be honest before God and tell him, maybe what I am afraid of reveals that I don't desire you like I should. This psalm uh, is a go-to psalm for me. Do you have one of those Bibles that has the ribbon markers in it? It's like this one. My Bible has... Uh, four ribbon markers in it. I'm not trying to brag. Um, <laughs> one of those ribbon markers is always in Psalm 27. Always. Because I always come back to Psalm 27. Because I am often confronted with my fears. 
and so often confronted that my fears are not working. And there is no verse I have turned into prayer more than Psalm 27.4. One thing I ask, one thing I ask. God, one thing I seek is to be with you and gaze on your beauty. And the reason I hang on to that so much is not because my heart is full of pure desires for God, but because my heart is such a mixture of pure and impure desires. And so my journal entries are filled with, and they start with one thing I ask, not because it's the one thing I want, but I want it to be the one thing I want. And I so often feel the fatigue of my fears. and the, I don't need any help being scared of life because I don't need help trying to find life in places that lead to me being afraid. And I know Jesus is the answer, and I know he is the one thing that won't ruin, and I just find it hard to get there. And it's, so it's easy to read this and hear all this and feel so far from where I should be. Do you feel that at all? Can I show you something? So did David the author of the prayer on how to talk to God about our fears. Verses one through six are all confidence, all confidence. I'm not afraid. One thing I desire, he will hide me. My head shall be lifted high. It's all confidence, then it changes. Verse seven, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious in it. Verse eight, you said, seek my face. I'm seeking it. Hide not your face. Cast me not away. Forsake me not. The mood changes. The confidence of verses 1 through 6 gives way to something else entirely. He says, when I cry out, God, why is he crying if he's so confident? The confident hope becomes a cry for help. The fearless one is afraid. The confident one is crying out. What do we make of that? How does that make sense? It means this. It's not all or nothing. Praise God. Fear and trust can exist in the same heart. Confidence and anxiety can exist in the same heart. Pure desire for God and impure desire for what is not God can exist in the same heart. This psalm is not for people who have arrived. This prayer is not for people who have fixed their eyes on Jesus in such a way that they float fearless through life, right? This prayer is for those who read verse 4 and say, that's not me, but I want it to be me who can follow their fears to collapsing idols and can follow your fears to fading treasure and say, Jesus, I want you more than those things, and I'm just having a hard time getting there. And it probably means, friend, having to have this conversation with God often. It probably means making the ribbon marker in your Bible stay perpetually in Psalm 27. It probably means receiving grace to fight against fears and knowing that this fight is a long one, and this prayer offers help. It invites us to be honest that our fears are tied to our desires and our idols, but it helps us turn our eyes to Jesus, help us seek him as the one thing we want. Here's one way it does that, and we'll be done. Look what, what David does in verse 10. It's short and subtle and easy to miss, but it's so beautiful. In verse 10, he turns what if into even if. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Right after this crisis of confidence, right? He's crying out to God, forsake me not, cast me not, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. There is no biblical evidence that David's mom and dad forsook him. We know David, we know his parents, we know the story, that didn't happen. So what most scholars say is happening is that he's speaking hypothetically. He has real enemies that want to hurt him, but that's what your enemies are supposed to do, right? That's their job. That's not surprising. Enemies are supposed to attack, but parents are not. Moms and dads are not. Father and mother are supposed to protect. Father and mother are, are supposed to support and accept. So when he says, my father and mother have forsaken me, that's even worse than his enemies attacking him. 
He is envisioning the worst possible scenario and then stating in that worst possible scenario what will still be true. The Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. Enemies are around me. That's hard, but, but what's even worse is if my own parents reject me, but even if that happens, God will take me in. So don't miss this. His heart is a mixture like mine and maybe like yours. And one of the ways he fights against his fears and fights for faith and fights for single-minded desire for God is he turns the what-if of his fears into even-if statements of faith. Not what if my enemies attack, even if my parents reject me, even if it's worse than it is right now, God will take me in. What would that sound like? What would that sound like? To name fears and then take the what if of your fears and turn them into even if statements of faith. God, I'm afraid of rejection. What if I'm alone? What if I'm abandoned? What if I'm never known like I want to be known? What if I continue to feel like I'm always on the outside of acceptance and always on the outside of admiration that it seems like everyone else has? But my hope, my hope is not in people's acceptance of me. My hope is in God's love for me. And so even if rejection comes, God will never leave or forsake me. So, so I can give up the exhausting life of trying to please and win over everyone else, and I can rest in God's love for me. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to be the best version of you for him. You don't have to win him over. Jesus won for you. He defeated death for you. There's nothing at stake, and so you can be okay with being ordinary and unknown, and instead of making the goal in life trying to be impressive to others, you can make your goal in life just being faithful to Jesus. I write it in my journal this way as someone who's scared of rejection. I would rather be forgotten by the world and faithful to Jesus than loved by the world and unfaithful to the one who loves the forgotten. God, I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of not being enough. And what if not being enough means I can't become who I think I should be? Or what if I can't achieve what I think I need to achieve? What if I fail? But my hope is not in me, God. It's in you. My great treasure is not in what I will accomplish. My great treasure is in what you've done for me. It's like when Jesus tells his disciples, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. The greatest thing about me is not what I've done, but what's been done for me. So even if failure comes, even if the success I want always escapes me, even in failure, I still belong to Jesus, which means I am named among the ones who will not be defeated by this life, but will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I am afraid of the future, God. I am afraid of pain in the future. I'm afraid of what I don't know is coming, but I don't hold my life in my hands. You hold my life in yours, God. Even if some of what I fear comes true, you promise to be with me. All things in my life might change, but God, you stay the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm afraid of death, God. Even if it comes, I can pray like David. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Nothing can take from me what I most want, not even death. Our hope in this life, friends, is not to escape death. Our hope in this life is that death is not the end of life. Jesus returns, resurrection comes, and we for all eternity get to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and be with him forever. What would it sound like to take your fears, to bring them to God, to have honest conversation with God, tell him who he is to you, be honest about what you desire, and then turn those what-if thoughts of fear into even-if statements of faith and plead for him to change your heart as I plead for him to change mine. Let's do a bit of that together. God, we love you. Once again, God, the messenger feels far from the message. 
I thank you for grace. I thank you that it's not all or nothing. I thank you that pure love for you and impure desires for things that are not you can exist in the same heart. It's just a, it's just a different take on fear with you, God. What's easy to think is if we just push the things we're afraid of out of our mind, or maybe it's like the things I'm afraid of, they're not likely to happen, and so I just don't need to think about them. And, and what you lead us into doing is saying not what if, but even if. Even if it happens. So I pray, God, that we would do this work. I pray, God, that we would take serious the invitation of the book of Psalms and take serious the invitation of Psalm 27 to be a people who can talk to you about our fears, to be a people who don't want to be ruled by them or fueled by them or to live completely paralyzed by them, God, but can lay them at your feet. One thing I ask, God, one thing I seek, to be with you, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, it's not true, would you make it true? Would you make it true, God? That we might live with confidence, that we might be the embodiment of verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We're waiting for you, Jesus. We're waiting for you. Make us courageous. Make us strong. Make us fearless. Help us. Amen.